0: Welcome back to the Calm Café. I'm Adam, and I'm here to help you and guide you to a soft and relaxing sleep. This time of year can be full of excitement for many, with the preparations for Santa's arrival and all that goes with it. However, trepidation and unease for others if there's a gathering that we, we don't really fancy going to. Family members you see around this time of year and only this time of year for good reason. These meetings can often lead to a constant thinking back to conversations you had and What you should have said or what you shouldn't have said. And all leading back to a feeling of thanks and gratitude that those annual gatherings are just that. Annual. You got through another year with the awkward chats with relatives you don't really know and siblings that really should know better. It's okay. You're through it all now safe and sound for another year. Safe and sound to step through the door of the calm cafe and leave all of that behind you. The door closes softly behind you shutting out a lot of that ambient noise from outside, leaving you with a sense of belonging and rest. Because you do belong here, and here you will rest. Rest your feet, rest your weary body, and rest your tired mind. yourself drop into the high wingback armchair in front of the roaring fire. The armchair is positioned at a perfect angle that you get a gentle warming from the fire, but not so much as to make you uncomfortable. And that's lucky, as there's no way you're going to be able to adjust its position on your own anyway. It's solidly built, antique you may say, but reupholstered only a few years ago, recent enough for it to give support, but not so recent as to not give way when you sit. The seat portion of the armchair gives a gentle sigh as you first sit down, slowly giving out to your weight and lowering you down to the perfect height. Your feet instinctively lift as you sit, and effortlessly land onto the perfectly positioned footstool, which sits at, again, just the right height. Not only that, but also supports the backs of your calves too. Next to you sits a freshly brewed pot of sweet tea and the option of a little drop of whiskey or brandy, if it suits you. Tonight we're being treated to an excerpt of a favorite classic story. The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Ah, the time traveller, the Eloy and all the tales that go with it. Don't worry if you drift off while I'm reading. Being calm and relaxed is the main aim for you in the calm cafe. Sleeping is a bonus. It's important not to put too much pressure on it. Sleep will come. You just have to allow yourself to get there. And while you get there, I'm here to keep you company. My main aim, over the course of however many episodes it takes, is to read the whole book. Partly as it was my bedtime reading for a while, as it was for many others. And partly because, well, I'd love to read it again. And reading it for the Calm Café means I can get away with it being for research purposes. Not that we should ever need an excuse to read. I find a book can transport me far away in a matter of moments, which is lucky, as we have 800,000 years into the future to travel to. Before that, let's start with a brief, relaxing exercise to prepare you for tonight's journey. So, whether you've had a busy day or a quiet one, now's the time to leave all of that behind. No easier can you change what happened a moment ago than you can ten years in the past. There's nothing for you to do, there's nowhere that you need to be, so take a nice deep breath in through your nose, filling up your chest right to the top, and hold it for 3, 2, 1. Gently exhaling out through the mouth. Repeat again, in through your nose, not with any rush, just allowing your lungs to slowly inflate to their full capacity. We're not trying to burst your chest, we're just trying to make sure you're, you're full up to the brim, holding it for three, two, one, and gently out again through the mouth. And once more, really taking your time to take that full breath all the way in, all the way up to the top of your head, holding it for three, two, one, and out through the mouth slowly gently and now allowing your breathing to return to normal slowly and steadily in and out through the nose I think at that time none of us quite believed in the time machine. The fact is, the time traveler was one of those men who are too clever to be believed. You never felt that you saw all around him, you always suspected some subtle reserve, some. Ingenuity and ambush behind his lucid frankness. Had Philby shown the model and explained the matter in the time traveller's words, we should have shown him far less scepticism. For we should have perceived his motives. A pork butcher could understand Philby. But the time traveller? had more than a touch of whim among his elements, and we distrusted him. Things that would have made the frame of a less clever man seem tricks in his hands. It is a mistake to do things too easily. the serious people who took him seriously never felt quite sure of his deportment, they were somehow aware that trusting their reputations for judgement with him was like furnishing a nursery with eggshell china. So, I don't think any of us said very much about time traveling in the interval between that Thursday and the next. Though its odd potentialities ran, no doubt, in most of our minds. Its plausibility, that is. Its practical incredibleness. The curious possibilities of anachronism and of utter confusion, it suggested. For my own part I was particularly preoccupied with the trick of the model, that I remember discussing with the medical man whom I met on Friday at the linnean He said he had seen a similar thing at Tubingen and laid considerable stress on the blowing out of the candle, but how the trick was done he could not explain. The next Thursday I went to Richmond, I suppose I was one of the time traveler's most constant guests, and arriving late found four or five men already assembled in his drawing room. The medical man was standing before the fire with the sheet of paper in one hand and his watch in the other. I looked round for the time traveler and it's half past seven now, said the medical man. I suppose we'd better have dinner. Where's. said I, naming our host. You've just come? It's rather odd. He's unavoidably detained. He asks me in this note to lead off with dinner at seven if he's not back. Says he'll explain when he comes. It seems a pity to let the dinner spoil, said the editor of a well-known daily newspaper. And thereupon... The doctor rang the bell. The psychologist was the only person besides the doctor and myself who had attended the previous dinner. The other men were Blank, the editor aforementioned, a certain journalist, and another, well, a quiet, shy man with a beard, whom I didn't know, and who, as far as my observation went, never opened his mouth all the evening. There was some speculation at the dinner table about the time traveler's absence, and I suggested time travelling in a half-jocular spirit. The editor wanted that explained to him, and the psychologist volunteered a wooden account of the ingenious paradox and trick we had witnessed that day week. He was in the midst of his exposition when the door from the corridor opened slowly and without noise. I was facing the door and saw it first. Hello, I said. At last, and the door opened wider, and the time traveller stood before us. I gave a cry of surprise. Good heavens, man, what's the matter? Cried the medical man, who saw him next. And the whole tableful turned towards the door. He was in an amazing plight. His coat was dusty and dirty and smeared with green down the sleeves. His hair, disordered, as it seemed to me, greyer, either with the dust or dirt or because its color had actually faded. His face was ghastly pale, his chin had a brown cut on it, a cut half healed. His expression was haggard and drawn, as by intense suffering. For a moment, he hesitated in the doorway, as if he had been dazzled by the light. Then he came into the room. He walked with just such a limp as I have seen in footsore tramps. We stared at him in silence, expecting him to speak. He said not a word, but came painfully to the table, and made a motion towards the wine. The editor filled a glass of champagne and pushed it towards him. He drained it, and it seemed to do him good, for he looked round the table, and the ghost of his old smile flickered across his face. ''What on earth have you been up to, man?'' said the doctor. The time traveler did not seem to hear. Don't let me disturb you, he said with a certain faltering articulation. I'm all right, he stopped, held out his glass for more, and took it off at a draft. That's good, he said. His eyes grew brighter and a faint color came into his cheeks. His glance flickered over our faces with a certain dull, approval, and then went round the warm and comfortable room. Then he spoke again, still as it were feeling his way among his words, I'm going to wash and dress, and then I'll come down and explain things. Save me some of that mutton, I'm starving for a bit of meat. He looked across at the editor, who was a rare visitor, and hoped he was all right. The editor began a question. Tell you presently, said the time traveller, I'm... funny. Be all right in a minute. He put down his glass and walked towards the staircase door. Again I remarked his lameness and the soft padding sound of his footfall, and standing up in my place I saw his feet as he went out. He had nothing on them but a pair of tattered, bloodstained socks. Then the door closed upon him. I had half a mind to follow, till I remembered how he detested any fuss about himself. For a minute, perhaps, my mind was wool-gathering, then remarkable behaviour of an eminent scientist I heard the editor say, thinking after his want in headlines. And this brought my attention back to the bright dinner table. What's the game? said the journalist. Has he been doing the amateur cadger? I don't follow. I met the eye of the psychologist, and read my own interpretation in his face. I thought of the time traveller limping painfully upstairs. I don't think anyone else had noticed his lameness. The first to recover completely from this surprise was the medical man who rang the bell. The time traveler hated to have servants waiting at dinner for a hot plate. At that the editor turned to his knife and fork and with a grunt, and the silent man followed suit. The dinner was resumed. conversation was exclamatory for a little while, with gaps of wonderment, and then the editor got fervent in his curiosity. Does our friend eke out his modest income with a crossing? Or has he his Nebuchadnezzar phrases? He inquired. I feel assured it's this business of the time machine, I said. And took up the psychologist's account of our previous meeting. The new guests were frankly incredulous. The editor raised objections. What was this time traveling? A man couldn't cover himself with dust by rolling in a paradox, could he? And then as the idea came home to him, he resorted to caricature. Hadn't they any clothes brushes in the future? The journalist too, would not believe at any price, and join the editor in the easy work of heaping ridicule on the whole thing. They were both the new kind of journalist, very joyous, irreverent young men. Our special correspondent in the day-after-to-tomorrow reports, the journalist was saying, or rather shouting. When the time traveller came back, he was dressed in ordinary evening clothes and nothing save his haggard look remained of the change that had startled me. I say, said the editor hilariously, these chaps here say you've been travelling into the middle of next week. Tell us all about little Roseberry, will you? What will you take for the lot? The time traveler came to the place reserved for him without a word. He smiled quietly in his old way. Where's my mutton? he said. What a treat it is to stick a fork into meat again. Story, cried the editor. Story be damned, said the time traveler. I want something to eat. I won't say a word until I get some peptone into my arteries thanks and the salt one word said i have you been time traveling yes said the time traveler with his mouth full nodding his head i'd give a shilling a line for a verbatim note said the editor the time traveler pushed his glass towards the silent man and rang it with his fingernail At which the silent man, who had been staring at his face, started convulsively and poured him wine. The rest of the dinner was... Uncomfortable. For my own part, sudden questions kept on rising to my lips, and I dare say it was the same with the others. The journalist tried to relive the tension by telling anecdotes of Hetty Potter. The time traveller devoted his attention to his dinner and displayed the appetite of a tramp. The medical man smoked a cigarette and watched the time traveller through his eyelashes. The silent man seemed even more clumsy than usual and drank champagne with regularity and determination out of sheer nervousness. At last the time traveller pushed his plate away and looked around us. I suppose I must apologize, he said. I was simply starving. I had a most amazing time. He reached out his hand for a cigar and cut the end. But. Come into the smoking room. It's too long a story to tell over greasy plates. And ringing the bell in passing, he led the way into the adjoining room. You have told Blank and a Dash and shows about the machine, he said to me, leaning back in his easy chair and naming the three new guests. But the thing's a mere paradox said the editor. I can't argue tonight. I don't mind telling you the story, but I can't argue. I will, he went on, tell you the story of what has happened to me, if you like, but you must refrain from interruptions. I want to tell it. Badly. Most of it will sound like lying, so be it it's true, every word of it, all the same. I was in my laboratory at four o'clock and since then I've lived eight days, such days as no human being ever lived before. I'm nearly worn out but I shan't sleep till I've told this thing over to you, then I shall go to bed. But no interruptions. Is it agreed? Agreed, said the editor. And the rest of us echoed, agreed. And with that, the time traveler began his story as I have set it forth. He sat back in his chair at first and spoke like a weary man. Afterwards, he got more animated. In writing it down, I feel with only too much keenness the inadequacy of pen and ink, and above all, my own inadequacy to express its quality. You read, I will suppose, attentively enough, but you cannot see the speaker's white, sincere face in the bright circle of the little lamp, nor hear the intonation of his voice. You cannot know how his expression followed the turns of his story. Most of us hearers were in shadow, for the candles in the smoking room had not been lighted, and only the face of the journalist and the legs of the silent man from the knees down were illuminated. At first, we glanced now and again at each other, after a time, we ceased to do that, and only looked at the time travellers face.